Hi, this is Steve Poor, and you're listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. Nikki Shaver joins us today for a discussion around knowledge management and change initiatives in the industry. A high-achieving legal technology executive specializing in legal business transformation and enterprise-wide change management, Nikki's experience in the legal industry includes 10 years of legal practice with top-tier law firms and Fortune 500 companies, and close to a decade of experience as a global innovation leader in large law firms. She recently left her role as head of innovation and KM lead at Paul Hastings to devote herself full-time to Legal Technology Hub, an insights and analysis platform. She's been recognized by ILTA as Innovative Leader of the Year. She's a Fast Case 50 honoree and is named as one of the ABA's Distinguished Women of Legal Tech. Listen in to today's conversation to learn how she founded Legal Technology Hub, how it works, and what's next for the platform, how she dealt with change management her roles, and what law firms can do to make KM and innovation programs a success. I enjoyed the conversation. I hope you will as well. Thank you for listening. I'm joined today by Nikki Shaver, who is the uh, co-founder and CEO of Legal Tech Hub. Nikki, thank you so much for making the time for us today. Stephen, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I look forward to our conversation. Let's start by talking about Legal Tech Hub. You're relatively new as a full-time participant in Legal Tech Hub, although I know it's been around a couple of years. What is it and what's the, what's the driving concept behind it? Sure. So in 2019, when I was working for Paul Hastings, I was heading up knowledge and innovation there. And I had been in that field for some time with law firms, both in Canada and the US. And one of the things that often people in innovation have to do is look up legal technology solutions. And there are many reasons for that, because a lawyer comes to you and says, oh, I used to use this tool at another firm, and I'd like to use it here, and you need to know what it is. Or someone says, we'd like to explore this particular category of solution and see whether there's something for the firm, or you're actively problem solving, and you need to find what solutions are available to address a particular use case at the firm. And I found it increasingly frustrating that there was not one single place that you could go to where you could find all of the legal technology solutions available for law, for law firms in one place. And increasingly, I realized this was a problem that didn't just affect me. It affected many other people, people who were learning about legal technology and wanted to know more, people in corporate legal who really didn't know where to start often when they were looking for solutions. And I traveled a fair bit during 2019 and spoke to people at international firms and found that they had this problem in a far more intense way. They had to find solutions that operated in multiple languages because they often served clients in multiple languages and finding that information was also very difficult. So it took me a while to actually decide that, you know, why don't we take this upon ourselves? My husband and I, my husband's in legal tech as well in marketing and try to solve it. But in early 2020, we knuckled down and spent about 10 months doing very extensive research. The idea was that this would be a global platform. It would mimic the way enterprise search works within law firms. So it would not just be a directory of all of the solutions in the market, but also it would have very stringent taxonomies behind it that would allow users to filter and find tools that operated in particular languages or that served particular practice areas. 
And we eventually hired a designer and developers and we launched the first iteration of Legal Tech Hub in October 2020. But at that time, it was really a side project. I still had my big day job and Chris had a big day job as well. We kept it going, but I always thought, you know, this could be more. I had wanted to build it out to allow for people to search for consultants who serve the legal industry, for example. And I always thought there was a real content play that could be had. And about a year ago, I started speaking to someone I knew in the industry, Arun Plink, and he and I had a very similar vision of where Legal Tech Hub could go. And I was fortunate because Arun decided to come on board as an investor and a co-founder. And um, he's now the COO. I'm the CEO. And his addition to the company made it possible for me to leave Paul Hastings early this year and go full time into Legal Tech Hub. So we're now building out to be more. And in March this year, we relaunched with our new design. Oh, that's fabulous. That's, that's very exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. So walk me through the user experience. So I'm a innovation professional, a knowledge management professional. Uh, we'll get into what those mean here later on in the conversation. But I'm, I'm looking for, I've got a problem and I'm trying to find a solution. I come to Legal Tech Hub in, do I get a person? So that's a very good question, Stephen. At the moment, you do not, but you can. You can connect to myself and Yarun and we are doing some consulting on the side. But primarily what you get is a very intuitive user experience that allows you to search for solutions that will address your problem in a number of ways. So we have a very powerful keyword search that searches across all of the content on the site. So say you've asked about innovation professionals or KM professionals. The benefit of those people searching the site, of course, is that they are already indoctrinated in legal technology. They know what things are called. So they might come and look at our site and think, I'm going to do a search for e-discovery or I'm going to do a search for transaction management. And they would find a list of solutions with filters that they can then apply to make sure that what they're looking at, for example, fits their environment so they can filter for solutions that address corporate legal or solutions that address law firms or solutions that work in a particular practice area. You can also, we also have a list of our topics that you can actually just browse through. So if you're a litigator and you're interested in understanding what types of technology are available to support the type of practice I have, you can go into our litigation management topic and explore the vast array of solutions. And that topic is broken down into a number of subtopics. So you can find tools that produce automated chronologies, tools that deal with transcripts, tools that support depositions and remote trials. So there are a number of ways of coming at the content. What I love about our platform is that because the keyword search is so powerful, If you're not an innovation and KM professional and you don't know what things are called, you can just come to our keyword search and you could say, I am looking for something to make it easier for my team to manage funds, for example, funds management. And you could enter funds management and you would get a list of solutions with information about how those solutions address that particular problem. So it's very flexible and it therefore, I think, has a demographic of users that goes beyond innovation and KM and really allows for any legal professional to search for what they're looking for, especially now that with our new iteration launched in March, we also do include directories of consultants who do legal strategy management, data strategy and management, as well as KM innovation, digital innovation, digital transformation, as well as ALSPs. And now we're building out for our next launch, which will include content 
And that content will, again, bring another layer of transparency to the procurement of legal technology, but also generally to the legal technology landscape. What do you mean by content? Tell me what what's coming. For each of the categories on our site, and we have a very extensive taxonomy, so we have about 150 categories if you take the subtopics, so not the parent topics. For each of those categories, we are working with experts in the industry who are helping to build out what we call premium content. And that content for each category will include things like a landscape article that goes in great depth through how this technology category evolved in legal, what it looks like now, what is the kind of thing that you would expect to find from a solution of this kind, what's the return on investment from investing in this sort of solution, what are some of the challenges around implementation and adoption, some tips on how to address those, and then who are some of the entrenched players in the market in this category, who are some of the newer players, and a link to a full list of the solutions. But you'll also find resources and tools like an evaluation framework. So If you are a lawyer or an innovation or KM professional or someone working in a finance team or a CEO of a mid-sized firm, and you're not quite sure how to evaluate tools in this category, we give you a list of questions that you can actually ask vendors when you're looking at demos. We give you a requirements template that you can download that has a list of requirements and provides a way for you to evaluate solutions against one another. We give you a considerations before a pilot document that allows you to plan and prepare for an effective proof of concept or pilot of this technology. So that's one type of content that we're building out. We will be launching when we launch what we're calling 3.0 with about 11 categories and we'll be building out until we have all 150 categories. We also will have what we call category agnostic content, which is content around how to drive adoption of legal technology, how to drive change in legal environments. We have LTH or Legal Tech Hub Insights, which are our newsletters that go out, which have deep content around digital transformation for corporate legal and all kinds of insights for law firms on how to modernize and make sure that they are really practicing at the future of law. That sounds fantastic. When do you anticipate launching 3.0? Well, hopefully in the late summer. So we we had been saying June, but as with most startups, we are stretched and we're in build mode and the content development is going really well, but it's going to take a little while to get our development team to finalize the designs that we have, but hopefully late summer. Don't quite have the Paul Hastings team uh, at your disposal. (laughs) I went from having a team of almost 40 people at my disposal to myself and (laughs) Yuri. Well, you've got the important ones. (laughs) In terms of the list of solutions, whether they be tech companies or consultancies, do you curate the solution sets that you're providing or is it an effort to be all inclusive and do you vet the companies, I guess is what I'm asking. So that's an interesting question. We we aim to be relatively all inclusive in the sense that we want this to be a really comprehensive directory for people. Um, so we want people to be able to find early stage startups as well as very mature companies in the space. And that was actually one of the purposes behind the initial platform was that we wanted startups or early stage companies to be able to have visibility alongside some of the established players in the market. So they had a chance at being part of a decision making process around a particular category. 
Having said that, we, for the moment, even though both Yurun and I are really passionate about access to justice issues, we only have on the site commercial legal solutions. The reason for that is access to justice serves a huge number of people. It's a huge population. And those people, generally speaking, need to come across the solutions to their problems in the places where their problems exist. So if you have an issue around a lease, you're going to look for it in around the sort of tenancy board realm. If you have an issue with feeding your children, you're going to look for help in a different place. If you have problems in your marriage, you'll look for that in a different place. You won't necessarily, as a general member of the public, know to go to one platform to search for every kind of problem. That's change management on a massive scale. But for commercial legal, there are professionals, generally speaking, who work in a lot of those organizations who are looking for places where they can find this type of technology. And we can speak to those people. So it makes sense for us at the moment to focus our efforts on commercial legal. We also evaluate the vendors in the sense that we don't allow them to self-select into categories. So we have people come to us and say, we would like a listing on your site. And we say, of course. And then they say, we do these 20 things. And we look at what they do and we say, well, you're right that your technology incorporates those features, but you're an end-to-end contract lifecycle management system. You have e-signatures as part of that. But if I'm somebody who's looking for an e-signatures tool, I don't want to find end-to-end contract lifecycle management solutions in that bucket. It doesn't make sense. I'm not going to pay $300,000 a year for a solution when I can pay much less to get exactly what I want. So we manage and apply our taxonomy very consistently and rigorously to make sure that solutions are tagged in the right way and therefore appear in the right categories on the site. And who do you view as your competitors in this space and how do you differentiate yourself from them? So there are a number of different directories in the market. I have to say, I think we were really one of the first, if not the first, to come out with a true enterprise search model, which came from a KM perspective, where you could actually filter across all of the results in order to find, for example, all the solutions that addressed a particular practice area or that operated in a particular language. And also the first to really address the global market at large. So we try to be incredibly international and really serve all regions. And we have traffic from about 150 or 160 countries. But we have, so Bob Ambrogi earlier this year launched his directory. There is a directory type solution called Theorem. There are a few other directories, but I, they're different than ours. Clock has a directory, for example. I don't think any of those, for example, do what I just said in terms of applying a taxonomy. So I think generally speaking with those other directories, the vendors say this is where we belong and then that's where they belong on the site. It means that if users go to those directories and do a search for something like due diligence, for example, they're not necessarily going to find the solutions that they need to perform due diligence. Whereas on our site, we really curate. And so you will find only the solutions that do due diligence if you do a search for due diligence on Legal Tech Hub. So I think that taxonomy first approach is a differentiator for us. I think the other thing now is that we do have services as well. So you can find consultants and ALSPs. And of course, we are building out to be much more than a directory. We are building out to be a platform that supports transparency of legal tech procurement and implementation and adoption in the market. 
And something else that's exciting, a recent development is that we also acquired a site recently called Legal Tech Jobs. So we now also have the capability to post jobs for our vendors. So vendors who work with us are able to post any jobs that they have on our Legal Tech Jobs board and law firms and corporate legal are able to post as well jobs related to legal technology, legal innovation, legal ops on our site. That's fabulous. It's uh, the directories I'm familiar with are not nearly as comprehensive as that. So that that's that's very cool. It sounds a little bit like what you've done is you're automating or putting into technology your experiences and your expertise in terms of knowledge management and innovation. You know, it's funny, Stephen, that you say that. That's exactly how I think of it. Honestly, um, I have been passionate about change in the legal industry for a long time. And I almost see this as it's like a labor of love. It's like my love letter to the industry. And I, I see it as doing KM for the industry. You know, we would not now expect any attorneys in our firms to start drafting from scratch because that's just a needless waste of time when there are so many precedents to draw upon. In the legal industry at large, we have this extraordinary collective knowledge around how to evaluate solutions properly, how to run a pilot properly. But there really hasn't been, although people are good at sharing on podcasts and webinars, there really hasn't been a resource center where you can go and get practical guidance or download tools that, similar to a precedent, allow you to actually have a starting point so you're not building up a requirements template from scratch, for example. And that's what we aim to do. And and you're right as well with the directory. Certainly, it's been a very much KM-driven approach. And I think that's what I love about it is... It's taking this discipline that I've learned from working with large law firms and applying it to something that hopefully will serve the industry at large. Oh, I think it, I think it absolutely will. I'm sitting here thinking about experience I had a couple of years ago where we were searching for a solution in a particular practice area. And the uh, fellow I work with who who runs our tech R and D function that I, I work with at the firm. We're sort of scratching our head and putting together requirements and looking to put together the RFP and trying to figure out who to invite to the thing. A service like this would have been invaluable to us. So next time. That's very good to hear. It's validating. And I must say, just today, I got a lovely message from a vendor I'm familiar with, with a founder. And he said, Nikki, you'll be pleased to know that we recently had a potential client approach us. And he said he found our solution on Legal Tech Hub. And he found it very useful. And that's how he found us. So it, it just makes me feel so happy to hear that kind of thing because it's it's working. And we will have RFPs actually on the site as well. So that's great. That's great. You talk about KM, knowledge management, which is what perhaps you're best known for. Let's start with some definitions because the terms sort of get muddled a little bit in the industry, innovation, knowledge management, et cetera. What's your definition of knowledge management? So traditionally, knowledge management really was known as the practice of ensuring that lawyers always have the best content and information available to them at all times. So knowledge managers typically will collect, create, curate, tag, and then resurface to their lawyers in the most intuitive manner, the knowledge that they need in order to practice at their best. And it can go a step further. It can also be in order to ensure that clients have information at their fingertips where you have a KM team, for example, that is client facing and produces client alerts. But it is generally speaking about knowledge and information. Over time, that has evolved. So KM really, I would say, is where for many, many firms, innovation 
departments have evolved out of. And the reason for that is when you're looking at the ways to surface information to your lawyers, those increasingly are technology driven. So KM was always looking at new technology that enabled them to better distribute knowledge to their lawyers at the time that they need it, the right information at the right time. So enterprise search as a KM system, firm intranet is often a KM system, even a document management system, parts of that and the way that information is organized in that system will fall to KM. So KM is really like the architect of the way that information and knowledge at a law firm is presented to lawyers in a way that enables them to easily access it when they need it. And how have you historically dealt with some of the change management challenges? Lawyers sometimes tend to be siloed. They tend to have a belief that they they know the best way to do things. Not every lawyer. <laughs> New tools are not always immediately embraced by generations of lawyers. How did you incorporate change management techniques into your work in the KM field? Change management is a huge hurdle for KM professionals and innovation professionals. And I would say legal ops professionals generally in, in legal. So I, I have a very strong view that the only way that change management and adoption can be successful is if it really is a completely strategic, all-encompassing approach. And by that, I mean, you have to start with a strategy. You can't set up a KM team or an innovation team and not develop a strategy for how you want to drive change across an organization. Part of the role is culture change. For me, my strategy always starts with education. It's actually a strategy that I developed called the three E's. They stand for education, engagement, and execution. And so education means that you first have to educate the lawyers that you're working with on why the change is necessary. It's very difficult to come into a legal environment and start launching technology tools to lawyers without explaining to them that there are very good reasons for them to take up those tools and use them. So education to me comes first. And I instituted that, for example, by developing programs for incoming associates that taught them about changes in the market, the new competitive forces, the regulatory changes that were leading to change or the need for change, new client demands, what clients were actually asking for, bringing client voices into the conversation so that lawyers could hear that their clients were asking for them to do things in different ways and for them to embrace technology. Also by sending newsletters across the firm and so on. The second prong of that strategy, though, is engagement. And that means in every project that you run, it's not okay to leave the lawyers out of it until you're ready to roll out the technology. The lawyers as the end users should be involved in the project from the very beginning. That means you need to understand what problem it is that you're solving for them. Is it a problem worth solving? Is it a problem that is key to the strategic goals of the firm and the strategic goals of your team? Is it a problem that the lawyers see as worth solving? If you are going first from the lawyer's pain point and the lawyer's problem, you can then bring them in. They should be seeing the demos of the tools. They should be the ones who are instrumental in making sure that the requirements include what their needs are in relation to this new system that you're planning to bring on. They should be involved in the pilot. You can't run a pilot without end users and then expect to roll it out to end users and everything goes well. If you've involved them in every step of the process, by the time you launch, you will have a number of change agents who are already excited about the technology because they have been excited about it and involved in it from the very beginning. And they're keen to start using this technology that they've seen go through the process. 
And those people can then be your change agents who are vocalizing the change and the excitement around it and driving positive momentum around the change. So running every project from the user first perspective is critical. And then, of course, executing on your projects, actually getting those successes under your belt and then communicating those successes to the firm so that the firm can see that there are real results. There is real value that comes out of these projects. And the final thing I would say is we do this thing strangely in law firms where we hire lawyers to sit in the roles that then are expected to drive change across a law firm. But we talk about how resistant lawyers are to change. And yet those are the people that we hire to drive change. (laughs) You can't do that successfully unless you skill up the lawyers that you have hired, or you are also hiring a diverse set of skills and backgrounds. I created a change program to actually educate my team on change management so that they had the tools at their disposal that would allow them to successfully lead change. And we built a very diverse team of people who were used to driving change in other environments. And that was successful. I've seen you tell a story about how you got into the KM field that involved, you started your career as a, as a lawyer in Australia, and then you moved to Canada. And that's, that's when the movement into KM occurred. Tell us how that happened. Yeah, I was a lawyer in Australia for almost 10 years, actually. And I loved it. I am not one of those people who moved into this side of practice because I didn't enjoy being a lawyer or I was looking for something different. I actually loved what I was doing. I was very fortunate. I practiced. I was a litigator in private practice for quite some time. And then I moved in-house and I worked with media companies and I did such interesting work. I was an editorial lawyer for newspapers and also a lawyer for a TV network. And in both of those environments, because my specialization was media law, I worked with journalists and reporters to guide them on what could and couldn't go to air. And so it was terribly exciting. It had to be fascinating. It was fascinating. Fascinating. I had I had a phone that used to light up all times of night with stories that were breaking. <laughs> and, um, I loved it. But as a family, we, we're an international family and we made a decision when my husband and I, when we had children to move to North America because we had a lot of family over here and we wanted the kids to grow up with cousins and so on. And I really, I knew that I would have to requalify as a lawyer in Canada. And I thought, oh, I'll just get a job as a paralegal or a law clerk in a Canadian firm while I'm training. It turned out to not be as easy as that. And I think there were a lot of HR professionals who probably quite rightly looked at my resume and thought she will leave as soon as she gets that requalification. If we are there. Apparently- <laughs> well, that was the plan, right? Yes, indeed. But someone fortunately gave me a contract position at a Canadian firm called Blake's in KM. Which is a great firm. And I had never heard of it. It's a great firm. I had never heard of KM. And I came in and from the very beginning, I was doing things like adding documents and looking at taxonomies for an intranet. They were about to launch an enterprise search. So I learned about enterprise search. I learned about saved searches. And I immediately saw that this type of technology, it was so different from what I thought about legal technology. It wasn't Word. It wasn't just document management. It was another type of technology that could become integral to the way that lawyers actually practiced. And I found that fascinating. And surprisingly, I had a real aptitude for the technology aspect of it, which is something I didn't know about myself at all. 
I also found this just amazing community of people. So some of the people I worked with at Blake's are still my very close friends. Carla Swansburg, who now is the CEO of Cleary X, was my boss, as was Simon Wormwell, who's now the Chief Knowledge and Innovation Officer at Osler. You know, these were people I met and I just found this wonderful community and realized this was something that I probably wanted to do for the long term. It's fascinating. And when I get to chat with people on this podcast, the paths their lives take that lead them to do something different than what they thought they would do at the beginning, yet do great things. And that that's such a fascinating story. You won a lot of awards and got a lot of recognition for your work with Paul Hastings. Tell us a little bit about that part of your journey. What, what did the function look like when you came into it? And how did you build that function and build success and build support within uh, a law firm environment for what you're trying to do? Because that's not the easiest thing in the world to do. It's not easy at all. I often liken it to um, Sisyphus. Like you are pushing, it is an uphill journey every step of the way. And one of the things I'll say, and this is not about Paul Hastings, but just generally with law firms, is that one of the problems I think at the moment is law firms, especially, you know, AMLAW 100 type law firms are excited about and keen on innovation. They know they should be doing it. They know that their clients are asking for something different, so they will hire innovation professionals. What they do not do is remove the structural hurdles that make it extremely difficult for those professionals to do what they've been hired to do. And so we have this conundrum and it does make it difficult. However, I think I was lucky. I came into Paul Hastings at a time when things were just starting, I think, to burgeon in an interesting way. We already had KM lawyers in a number of different practices. And I was really given the wherewithal to build and grow and take my ideas where I wanted them to go. So when I said I wanted to develop a change management course and train up the whole team, that was fine. When I said, yeah, I want to actually build an entire summer program around innovation and legal technology and train our incoming summer associates and help them understand what it is that we're doing so that it's easier to engage them in our projects as they get into working at the firm that was embraced. And then, in fact, I was encouraged to build that program out further. So we started building out for fall associates and developed a fall associate program. We built out a partner program. So I was very fortunate, I think, in the sense that the firm was really open to going with the ideas that I had. And I had a lot of support around that. We built data-driven tools at a time, you know, before the APIs came out that made it particularly easy to do that. We started using AI and we worked with university students to help us on AI projects so that law students were getting trained up in legal technology, but we were also getting extra hands on deck to work with our projects. So when I was able to actually build up a client-facing team that started developing products for clients and working on consulting around digital transformation for clients. So I was fortunate in that they gave me leeway to kind of take these sort of creative juices and and really apply them at the firm and build an amazing team of talented people. That support is so critical, particularly the support to know that not everything is going to be as successful as one would hope it would be. You can't innovate without also making some mistakes along the way. And there's a there's not always that tolerance that you added, Paul Hastings. That's great. Absolutely. That openness to fail. And when I say fail, the right kind of failure, the right meaning you've tried something sensibly in the right way and you've done everything you can around it, but it fails and you learn something from that and it allows you to pivot and go in a different direction. Right. Being able to do that in a firm environment, I think is unusual. And, and I was lucky. 
A lot of work is being done now, and I know you mentioned it as part of the work you're doing in terms of data, data management, data analytics. How did you de- how do you deal and how do you advise people to deal with issues around data hygiene and the whole garbage in, garbage out problem that organizations as a general proposition, not just law firms have? I mean, it absolutely is garbage in, garbage out, but it's more than that as well. I think the difficulty is that a lot of organizations have been, even unbeknownst to them, building this enormous quantity of data that is inconsistent, that sits in many different systems where there may be systems that are replicated from one department to another, but there's not consistency of the values that are used across those systems. And it gives rise to these environments frequently in large organizations where you are using manual means to extract data from one system and import it into another system and then writing scripts to be able to generate the sorts of reports that you need. And it's just a waste. It's a waste of resources. It's a waste of time. And it's very important, I think, these days because data is so powerful and the most successful law firms of the future will be those who really have their arms around their data and have gone through a significant data hygiene project to stop now, look at your systems, understand, do a current state discovery exercise, understand what you have, understand the way that data flows or doesn't flow through your organization, understand the different repositories you have for data, and then undertake the project to really clean it up. And you can't boil the ocean. You can't do all of that at once. You need to find the right types of initiatives that allow you to drive that forward and to gradually clean up the various data vocabularies that you have across the firm. You can find nice projects that actually bring together many different systems and initiatives in one, and it will allow you to do a lot of that hard work. But I think for most firms, that's a project that requires outside support. I think if I was going to advise firms, I would say if you're doing a large data project, this is something that requires probably a consultant to come on board because very few firms have that expertise in droves or the resources needed to tackle such a huge project. But even from a small project perspective, when you're doing KM work, everyone needs to be very careful about using taxonomies properly, being consistent in the way that they express values. And I think there's greater recognition of that now than there has been in the past. And for those of you that want to find consultants, go to Legal Tech Hub <laughs> and, uh, and do your search. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Nikki, we've, we've blown past our time. I could keep this conversation going for a lot longer, but I'll, I'll, I'll cut it off there and be respectful of your time. Thank you so much. you got some great things going on. It's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you for joining. Thank you so much for having me, Stephen. Thanks for listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. Be sure to visit thepioneerpodcast.com for show notes and more episodes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform.